Are you looking to kick your nine to five and work for yourself? How about if you could set your own rates and read books all day? Author Accelerator might just be able to help you out. By now, you've probably heard us talk about book coaching, an exciting career where you can help writers bring their dreams to life through support, feedback, product management, and accountability at each step of the writing and publishing process. It's like being a literary personal trainer for writers. Through Author Accelerator's Book Coach Certification Program, you'll learn the key editorial, project management, organizational, and people skills needed to launch your own thriving book coaching business. To find out if book coaching is the right career for you, Author Accelerator is offering a five-day challenge to help you envision your new chapter. In their $99 one-page book coaching business plan, you'll narrow down your business idea, ideal client, ideal service, and more. Interested? Visit bookcoaches.com slash podcast to learn more. Writers, we love Becca Syme. We listen to any podcast she's on, sometimes twice. I watch her YouTube channel while I work out. I read her email newsletter religiously. She's just one of the best because she gets writers and writing. She gets that while we may all be trying to do what looks like the same thing, we all do that differently with different strengths and different, oh, let's just call them not strengths. And therefore, what works for one of us does not work for all of us. So obviously, we were super excited to get to talk to her. And now we are delighted to reshare this trust me, very inspirational interview with you as we head into the end of this year and the beginning of next. So here again, Becca Syme. Enjoy. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone. I don't remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. And this is Hashtag Am Writing, the podcast about writing all the things. Fiction, nonfiction, short pieces, long pieces, pitches, proposals. In short, this is the podcast, as I say every week, about sitting down and getting your work done. And I'm Serena Bowen. I'm the author of 35 romance novels. My latest one is called Bombshells. And you can find me at the ebook retailer of your choice or serenabowen.com. And I am KJ Delantonia, the New York Times best-selling author of The Chicken Sisters. Never gets old, promise I will stop <laughs> saying it soon. Uh, as well as the author of How to Be a Happier Parent and the former editor and lead writer of the New York Times' Motherload blog. And right now, I'm uh, I've no, draft of novel number two goes to the editor today, and it is done. I am just filling in bits and snippets of... of um, setting, because that's something that I tend to do at the end. And today we are so excited to welcome a guest. Let me tell you about her. 
We're going to introduce you all or give you a chance to hear from again, if you've heard her before, Becca Syme. And Becca is amazing. I'm a bit of a fangirl, so I'm delighted to have her here. She is, as R.L. Syme, the author of many, a cozy mystery. But as Becca Syme, she is the uh, lead creator head strategist, writer, coach, whatever you would like to say, of the Better Faster Better Faster Academy. And she's a writing coach who uses personality tests, in particularly the Clifton Strengths method, to help writers figure out what they do best and then do more of that, which I think is a fantastic approach to helping us get better. I am actually in the process of taking the Better Faster course and really getting a lot out of it. Super excited to talk about it. So um, Becca's superpower is to help writers find the thing that they do most strongly, whether it's through the strengths class or, or anything else, and then just, you know, lean in. So that's what we're going to talk about. Welcome, Becca. Thank you so much for having me. I, uh, just a side note, use the hashtag writing all the time on Twitter when I'm writing. We allow that. So I'm very excited to apologize. be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people like, I've been using your show title for years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we thought of it first. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, we haven't trademarked it. So this, uh, we're, we're really excited. And we want to talk um, we're going to talk about sort of two different chunks of things. And the first is how you help writers to figure out what, what their strengths are and how to lean into those strengths. And then the second, we thought it would be fun to spend a little time talking about uh, looking at your characters and finding their strengths. So that's, that's, our, that's our, our master plan for the day. Can, can you start by telling listeners... Um, you know, I told him how I perceive what you do, but how do you see uh, your role when you work with a writer? So the the process of being me in the world is a conglomeration of a lot of decisions that I've made in the past, right? Like everything that I've done kind of has gotten me to where I'm at. And a lot of the decisions that I've made in the past, um, me and you and everyone, um, mean that I have patterns in my activity, right? Like what I do naturally. Uh, and the more I do those things, and the more competent I am at them, the better I get, like the better, faster I get at them. That's where the better, faster hyphenated concept comes from. And so as I was um, helping writer friends initially, because I started off as a coach, you know, 15 years ago, almost 16 years ago now. Um, uh, and I was coaching corporate, you know, uh, businesses, schools, uh, company, stuff like that. Um, and I would notice that as writers, we were less, less quick to go to, oh, there's an explanation about why I'm not able to do this thing other than I just suck as a person or like, I'm clearly bad at all of this stuff. And so, you know, I, I shouldn't, uh, I'm not successful, or I'm never going to be successful when a lot of times, with perspective, you see like, oh, well, that's a way that you are patterned for success, that other people aren't like that. And so they're not going to understand how to be able to help you be successful in that way, because they're not wired the same way that you are, because all the choices that you've made over time, uh, neurologically makes you have wiring 
that then is more or less cemented, like still plastic, right, but more or less cemented. And so as I was helping uh, people in coaching, I was like, why would we ever want to work against the ways that we're wired to be the best, which is often what happens uh, with commonplace advice, the things like if I'm wired to be a really great thinker, and people are like, oh, just stop thinking, like, because we want you to write uh, whatever, right? It's like, oh, just stop thinking. But if you happen to be really good at thinking, stopping thinking is not actually going to make you a faster or a better writer. Uh, and so understanding what the actual patterns are, because most of us don't know what our patterns are. Um, and then how do we push ourselves in a direction of not trying to mess with the things that we're the best at, and instead looking for other places uh, to do development. So it's, it's really an, I guess I would say a long tail of having done this work a lot with other industries. And then because I was a writer, starting to get into helping writer friends, which then kind of exploded into itself. But I think there's a tendency among writers, and I know that you're going to agree, to think that unless you do, unless you are a certain kind of person, or you have a certain skill, you can't be successful. Yep. So uh, unless I have discipline, I will never get anything done. Right. Unless I have a billion ideas, I will never write a creative book. Um, un- unless I can sit down in the same place every day, then this is just never going to happen for me. And that. Uh, that is not the way that you encourage people to think. No. I mean, almost to the point where uh, the the term best practice to me is really dangerous because I think that best practice is different for every single person. Like what the way that I am the most productive Becca that I can possibly be is going to be super different from the most productive any other person, right? And so we don't naturally come by that because there's this whole industry uh, and not just made up of people who don't understand this, but there's this whole industry of people who are like, I'm successful this way, let me teach you how. But we never stop to question the premise of like, but is that really going to work for me? Should I really expect that? And unfortunately, we take so much blame on ourselves when a system doesn't work. So like, we'll we'll see writers who are trying to do the write every day system, for instance. And when they're not successful at it, they come to us and they're like, I clearly am never going to have success as a writer. Because quote, unquote, everybody says you have to write every single day in order to be a real writer. And I'm like, well, first of all, everybody doesn't say that. But additionally, it's also not true. So like, there are plenty of people who are successful, six and seven figure authors who don't write anywhere near every day. And it's not an anomaly to be like that, right? So like normalizing how different we are, I think is part of the work that I do, trying to encourage people to deconstruct the expectations that they have that are based only on somebody super successful or super famous told me that this is how they are successful and therefore that's best practice. Yeah, there's no such thing as best practice. I think I remember a story from Becca's book about some amazing like high earning author who writes six weeks a year or something like the kind of person that we'd all three, three oh dear, weeks a year. that we'd all want to stab. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know, right? But um this this is such a great topic because of course there are things we can learn from successful people, but applying yep. that filter of um to to listen to what one person does and then filter it through your own 
um, strengths and expectations into something that's actually useful to me is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. And it can be harder, depending on the type of personality that I have, for me to hear, like, let's just use an example, right? Somebody who makes a million dollars and they say, I make a million dollars and this is my process. So if I have a certain type of personality, I hear that and I'm like, ooh, I want to try that thing that they're doing. And then if I fail at that system, I automatically assume that I'm the failure, that there's something wrong with me. But almost always, it's no, that's just not the right system for you. Like, just try a different system. And so the the quickness with which we move toward um, this person told me to do something and they are the expert, capital T, capital E, and they know all the things and they are, you know, whatever, or, or I want to emulate them, like you said, like, I want to look at successful people's patterns, but not all people are successful in the same way. And that's really what strengths is all about, right? It's, there are these 34 different ways that not just that we think people are successful, but that designated success metrics, so something that an industry would consider us the top 1% or 2% of their industry, that's who Gallup went after or Dr. Clifton went after to interview when he was creating the Strengths Finder test was who are the people who've been designated by their industry as the top 1% or 2%, and let's go interview them and figure out how they were successful. And then they did, you know, more than a million of those interviews. And they collated all that data into these 34 success patterns. And so for me, it's not just like some random person out there thinks this is how success happens. Oh, no, this is how success happens. Like we've documented it. So if you can understand, then how do I fit into those patterns, then I have a better shot at predicting what's going to work for me um, to be successful. So what's so cool about this is that, as you said, there, there's a list of 34 strengths in the test that that you like to use, the Clifton Strengths Program, um, and they, you know, there there are things that you might just as a lay person, you know, spot their discipline and, and achiever and, um, uh, you know, uh, harmony and belief and connectedness. But what's really cool is that there are successful people in every area who have every one of those yep. strengths. So it's not like all tightrope walkers are, you know, strong in activator, um, probably they're all strong in balance, but, yeah. but not, not, strong necessarily in their core. This, yeah, <laughs> not necessarily this version of it. So that's what I love that um, this is helping people to figure out how do I lean? Like, what are my inclinations and how can I use those to bring me success in whatever area that I'm working in? Right. So the success itself is something we assume is possible, right? Like, right. I assume that if you can reach this peak level, and this is the why I coach the better faster way, which is we don't ever want to settle for where we're at, we always want to get better and better and better at the in these areas. So like, if I have a top five intellection, which is the number one strength among writers, which is the ability to think about something until you reach clarity and to see things from all perspectives and whatever. So um, if I'm a top five in election, 
I don't just want to acknowledge that and be like, that's great. I want to say, how can I get better faster at that particular capacity? Because the way that I'm going to stand out among my peers and as a writer is going to be by utilizing that intellection to stand out. So instead of thinking, oh, all of the people I know who are high achievers, capital A, that's one of the strengths. uh, I want to be more like them. Well, if I have a number 34 achiever, I don't want to try to be like achievers in the way they're successful, because that's not going to work for me. I want to try to be like other whatever my strengths are, um, so that I can be more successful at those things, because that's where my standout capacity really is. So I I think everybody will put the link to taking this test in the show notes, it costs a few bucks, but it is super fun, and would love to hear everyone doing it. But even if you're not interested in looking at the actual Clifton strengths, there's some there are some that have a, a um, that are easy, more easily accessible to us as a lake person. So what I wanted to ask you about specifically, I think there's this myth that without discipline, I will never be successful. And what I have found really interesting about listening to you and looking at the strengths is that discipline can come from a lot of different places. Right. So, you know, what would you say to someone who's like, well, I don't, either I'm low in discipline because I took the test or I just, you know, I don't seem to have discipline. I'm all over the place. I do this, I do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not me. Right. So for the capital D discipline, like the strength of discipline, I would say, what is it about that discipline strength that you want to get? Because the strengths themselves are made up of a collection of different talents that all support that same, like core capacity of discipline. But if what you're really looking for is, um, I want to do something every day, right, then I would say, why? Why do you want to do something every day? Because most people want to be more disciplined because they think it's magically going to make them more productive. But if you're not wired as a high discipline, doing the same thing every day is not going to make you more productive. So for instance, as a high intellection, if you have low discipline, you probably won't write every day. But can you potentially attend your manuscript every day? Yes, you can. You're probably already doing that. It's just that you're thinking about it um, or you're making notes or you're processing or talking about it instead of writing. And I think there's a lot of quote unquote productivity advice out there that's like, oh, well, uh, you can't edit a blank page, right? Yeah, you can. High in election people edit blank pages in their head all the time. Like, so there's all of these things that I think we hang on to that are the quote unquote common advice or things that people repeat all the time about writing that really only works for, if you think of standard deviation, it only works for that median of people, right? So 68% of people roughly the commonplace advice will work for. But what about the other 30 some percent of people, right? Like they fall outside of that median. And so now we have to think about, well, if you happen to be outside of that and you can edit a blank page, how do you edit a blank page in your head more effectively so that by the time you get to write it, you can do it as efficiently as possible. But if you keep holding on to this whole, like, I can't edit a blank page, I have to get words on the page every day, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, then you're not working in a way that best supports your brain function. And so we would say, like, basically, it's, why do you think that? And then we deconstruct the expectation, if it's coming from a place that's not helpful. But 
how do you get to be potentially more disciplined with a small d? Like the each strength has an internal motivation that it desires. So like, uh, let's say input, for instance, the desire of taking in a lot of information is so that I can have the best or coolest or most interesting or uh, make the readers have that sparkle of curiosity that I had when I came across the information. Readers freaking love that. They love that like, oh my God, I never knew that about diamonds or I never knew that about New York City. And, And we think sometimes because not everybody has that sparkle, some editor tells us, take out all this crap. Nobody wants to hear this. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) There are readers who want to hear that. And I have high input writers that I read only because they have high input, because I learn more reading their books. They're also really great writers, right? But I learn more reading their books, because they go looking for those pieces, and they put them in, and then I sparkle when I read them as well. And that's what we're all looking for. Like, if I'm a high input reader, I want to find other high input writers. I don't want those input writers stopping doing their research, because they feel like it's quote, unquote, not productive. Who cares? Who cares if it's productive? Like, it's making your readers happier. They're going to be more loyal to you. They're going to remember you more. They're going to buy more of your books. Like, I just have this one specific input writer that I read all the time. And I would say, I think she puts out four books a year. And I could care less if she put out one book every two years. I would madly buy those books. And I'd pay any amount of money for them because I sparkle so much when I read them. And I feel like that's the key to the standout capacity. And we miss that when we try to play somebody else's game. Hmm. I was just reading a book that, of course, I wasn't using the same terminology in my head, but I was just reading a book called Unguarded by Jay Hogan. And it's this adorable um, gay romance that takes place in a veterinary office. And there are all these details about the day-to-day of a veterinary office. And it works so well. And I have a lot of capacity for input like that as, as well as you do. But I was reflecting to myself on why this input writer had written something that I think will appeal to people who don't care about that. Because she had done such a lovely job of making those details reflect onto the character so hard. Like his experience of seeing it all was really important and not just, you know, why that dog surgery was successful, like how he felt. So, so you can sometimes um, appeal to audiences who don't share that overlapping um, strength with you. Like they don't care about input because it's melded so well. But you sparkle when you write it. I think that's the difference, yeah. right? It's uh-huh. like it means so much to you. And and really, like you said, it's important to the character as well, like to who they are or to their development. And I think when we cut out some of that stuff, we cut out their sparkle a little bit as well. And I feel like, I again, I just feel like everybody's so different. It's so important to listen to your own intuition sometimes about like what's really good for your books and your voice and to disagree with some of the common wisdom that's out there about how to write. Yeah, we get a lot of people who are worried about when to stop researching. And that's valid, especially you've got I'm in in, uh, input is in my top five as well. So I'm betting that's probably not uncommon for writers either. It's in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. But but it doesn't matter. Because if you don't have it, you can still be a great writer. Yeah, you've got there's other strengths. 
So anyway, we get a lot of questions about sort of when should you stop researching and start writing. Um, and so I think it's really fun to think about, well, you know, do do stop researching and, and start writing because that that is key. But also, you know, lean into that that need for input. And the other thing that I have thought was really useful about thinking about it as a strength rather than a, a, a weakness is that we all need certain kinds of input. If that is your strength, you can't just churn out you know, book after book after book without filling your well. And I think we all kind of know that, but to really think about the importance of it can, can just change how you feel about what you're doing on a day-to-day level. Well, and to have a, a scientific backing, I think also is really important, like to say, this is science, trust me, you need input. Like if you have high input in your top five, you need that research. So to, to answer the question, like, when should I stop researching and start writing? I always say now, like right now, start writing. If you're not ready to write, then go back and research again. And if you can't, because I think that waiting is, it can be dangerous for inputs of like the inputting mm-hmm. feels so good that I really just want to keep inputting. And and we do want to make sure to, to move into execution. But the, the difference is if I know it's always possible for me to go back to input if I need it, if I can't move forward, because a lot of high inputs will have this kind of like a I need this one piece of information and I haven't found it yet. And that feeling can be really derailing and disconcerting because it's unpredictable, right? And I would say, try to keep writing. And if you can't, then keep researching. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, try to write again. And if you can't, then go back and keep researching. And trust your brain, trust your process to know that this is what you should be doing. It is intentionally... Uh, good for you to do more research than other people will do. And it won't make sense to some of your writer friends. It won't make sense at all. But that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Yay, yummy research. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) I'm a number one input. So I I see the ups and the downs of that. (laughs) I'm about to embark on, I think I'm going to I'm going to experiment with doing two things at once for a little while. And they both involve, like, I've got a stack of books for both of them. One of them is is more of like a stack of of writing books because I'm going to experiment with a a little bit of a different genre. And then the other one is like, you know, books about the history of the place that I'm. So anyway, I'm about to go into input (laughs) season. That would be so fun. I get this manuscript off my desk, uh, which will happen later today. So super stoked about that. I think it took me, I've been writing novels for a really long time now. And I think this is the first year I've ever made myself write, put detail in here later and, and just keep going. And, you know, the ability to actually do that and not immediately be struck down by lightning or something, it is, <laughs> it was revelatory. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you pop out and find it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, it's it's knowing which ones you can pop out and which which ones you can't that that really matters. And that's super intuitive. Yeah. So I wanted to switch gears. One of the things that really struck me when I was on your website was that you had written a blog post about uh, Ted Lasso as the ultimate example of one of the Clifton strengths, which is uh, shorthand as woo, but it turned out to mean winning others over, and. 
I mean, it was revelatory for me to realize how much that character embodied that strength. And, you know, who knows if they knew it or not, but wow, what a powerful tool. Can you talk a little bit about using the strengths um, for your characters? Yeah, and and I'll reference Ted Lasso because it's a perfect example. Um, winning others over the 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 strongest part about a woo is that they care about how people feel about them. They care about other people's opinions of them, and that impacts their uh, their day to day life. And so I think in a lot of ways that can be seen as a weakness, right? Like there's a lot of um, rhetoric in the external world about uh, nobody's opinion should matter except your own, et cetera, et cetera. And meanwhile, all the woo people are like, oh my gosh, you're cutting out a part of my soul to like not <laughs> care what people think about me. Or or woos are often villains. Like they're often the evil woman who uh, hates everyone because she, because everyone hates her, right? Or whatever. And she can't win over enough people. So she, you know, makes life horrible for the poor, intrepid young rom-com star. And so like woo is so often villainized that to see a character who you genuinely believe when you're writing this, that the strength of theirs, you admire it. You can feel the admiration in the Ted Lasso writing for someone who is wired like him. They don't make fun of him about it. They show the heroic side of this. And I think for people who have woo, that ability to see myself reflected in fiction in a way that is heroic. I've never seen a character with Wu that I felt like was a hero character before. And so I, I'm a number seven Wu. Um, it, it so resonated with me. I think I've watched that show about 15 times. Like it takes me about two days to binge it when I'm like doing tax stuff or whatever. And I think since I discovered it through the pandemic, like I think I've watched it front to back 15 times. I had a period where it was all I was watching because I just got <laughs> so resonated with that. And I think that's the key when you write characters that are really true to the strength. The reason the strengths exist is because someone noticed these patterns in people and wrote them down. And they were patterns that were between so many hundreds of people that we think they're like genuinely in the human DNA somewhere, right? And so when a woo says something, like Ted Lasso will say something like, you know, he when they're talking to Roy, and they say, Oh, he's gonna hate how much he likes us later. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, as a woo, I've thought those exact thoughts <laughs> before. And the resonance that that has, because strengths are so linguistic. When he said that out loud, I almost cried because I was like, oh, this is my person. Like, I finally am home. And the way that strengths resonate, like the level of relief that you have when someone normalizes a behavior that you always thought was bad or painful, the power that you have as a writer to show people that every single type of person could be strong and has something good to contribute to the world. And then you see people read those books that you write and all of a sudden they feel like they're home. That kind of feeling and devotion and dedication between readers and writers is like that's 
power, that's crack, right? Like, that's a that's a capacity for resonance that very few things can produce. So as a as a as a writer, having a commitment to writing characters that have those heroic traits or those good positive traits that make people feel normalized and make people feel at home. Um, I think that's the power of using strengths in writing characters. I wonder, um, for those writers who begin a book from a different place, like they don't know that it's about Ted Lasso or something like that. They begin with a, a premise, like what if this thing happened? You know, so if you start from a place that's not from a character perspective, you know, is there a way to not write half the book before you figure out who who that person really is <laughs> because it, that's oh a great, my gosh I need to hear this too that's Please. a great question I would say it depends on your strengths like so there are several strengths where actually that is evidence of a strength pattern so like there's a strength called individualization this often happens with relator it happens with developer um, it can sometimes happen with empathy but usually it's individualization where the way that think about the way you get to know a person right? Like you get to know a person as their behavior reveals things to you about them. So when you're writing a character that is not someone that you have created from scratch in your head in terms of like you're discovering them as you write, then there's no way around that. Like that's the pattern that you have. And that's the discovery process that you go through. But the good thing is, the more you get to know, especially if you do have one of the strengths that makes understanding the personality patterns a little easier, input, strategic, analytical, uh, individualization, ideation are the five usually. Um, But if you have some of those strengths that make understanding the patterns a little bit easier, you'll start to notice like, I am a discovery character writer. So I don't know who the characters are when I start writing either. But I've learned with strengths to be like, oh, boy, that was the most strategic thing you've said all day. And so I make notes of that in my head as I'm writing. And it helps me to make pattern assumptions about the characters as I write them, which is the the motivation, right? It's like, what do you really want underneath all of those things? So is there a way to shortcut that? If that's coming from a strength place, I wouldn't shortcut it, even if there was a way around it, because it actually makes the writing process uh, or the sorry, the reading process more effective for your readers, because they feel that discovery when you when you write that way. Well, that's a different way to think about it. It would right. still be nice not to write them off into many, many, many directions. But um, I'm personally working on that. Right. So. so there are ways to direct that, though, I do think like, but some of it comes from repetition in your own process, right? Like knowing that, Like if you have a certain type of character that you tend to write a lot and you start to watch those patterns emerging, then you're going to know how to predict their behavior much, much more quickly. But if you're one of those, like an individualization is like this, 
if you're one of those writers who never writes the same character twice, and you really like that super unique and different flair in each character, then the discovery process is really part of what makes the story feel more real to your readers when they read it, because then you're not making any assumptions about the character either. Even if you go back and retweak parts of the of the narrative to fit like what you've discovered, it still feels that authentic like discovery process from the beginning and that they they do sort of have the layers that pull back like the onion where you get to know more about them as the book goes on. Man, we could we could geek out on this yeah. all day. We absolutely could. We could throw out our top fives and and just get. But uh, we have to we have to respect the idea that we need to spend some time on some other things. And, and so let's take a quick little break and then we're going to come back and talk about what we've been reading. Spring is coming slowly here in New England, and we're excited about the whole idea of change and new beginnings, birds and grass and stuff like that. What does that have to do with hashtag am writing? Well, maybe it's time for a new beginning for you as a book coach. Just imagine enrolling in the classes, meeting a cohort, learning all the ways coaches are editorial and emotional support for writers, and then starting to line up your first clients. Students working with Author Accelerator's book coaching program say they often begin to book authors before they're even done with the course, and they end up being booked ahead months in advance. Sound like fun? I absolutely agree. Go to bookcoaches.com to learn more. All right. We like to hear from our guests first, Becca. I hope that you're ready with something great that you have been reading or watching. And I also want to say you got to shout out that input writer. You said such lovely things. You have to actually say who that person is. I don't know if I can because the, I don't know who, like, I don't know if they're okay with other people knowing who the oh, strikes are. Oh, I but, understand. But let me say, the coaching relationship. but there's another one that's very similar. And because she just did a podcast, I know she'll be okay with this. Um, and I would check out Mandy Roth. Uh, Mandy, Mandy M. Roth in Paranormal Romance, uh, and also uh, Yasmin Gallinorn, both, uh, uh, both of them do this. And so I would say what, what I love about that input sparkle is it's very similar to what Serena said about like it matters to the character. So you don't feel like it's a superfluous side note off on like a random rant or something. It's like it's what makes that character so interesting and unique and different is a very like sparkly piece of information that I've never heard before. And I feel like that uh, when I read Mandy's book and Yaz's books as well. But the high input for me, um, the uh, Rajni Laraka also, she was on the uh, input quick cast with us uh, who writes middle grade books. Uh, her input is, I mean, you can, it's like you can feel it palpably. She wrote a Cupcake Wars meets Shakespeare middle grade book that is just like unbelievable. Yeah. You had me at Cupcake Wars. So, oh, it's so good. Um, any, uh, anything so else good. that you've been reading, watching, or uh, listening to and, and loving? Right. Obviously, I encourage Ted Lasso just because I think All it's worth Lasso. seeing. Yeah, like the woo, the woo is is so amazing. Um, the other show, just because this this peaks at my ideation. If you haven't seen the show Devs before, I don't know if any of you are science fiction fans. Devs is 
unbelievable, like just in terms of uh, finding that median place where it's just enough of a creative, interesting, different, crazy world, but like so tropey. I mean, it's just, it's really fantastic. And I've seen a lot of the things that Alex, this this particular director has done. This was his best. So if you get to watch Devs, it's about eight episodes long. It's a science fiction, kind of a sci-fi thriller show. Uh, so good. Oh Tropes God. get a bad name, but man, they feed us. Tropes are oh, tasty. So I love my tropes. I love tropes. Yes. <laughs> Serena, read anything great lately? I'm just going to give that book a shout out again. It's called Unguarded by Jay Hogan. Um, I am, full disclosure, the publisher of this book. But this author from New Zealand brought a New Zealand transplant to Vermont, which she rendered perfectly. Oh, that's fun. I, I mean, her Vermont take was right on. I was, you know, sort of jaw-droppingly impressed by by this. And um, also fine grasp of tropes, but that veterinary office was hilarious and I loved it so much. I have got to get that one. Have that to read sounds that. fantastic. Um, so I want to give a shout out to another podcast and you may have heard me shout this out on a, a previous episode because I'm going to be shouting it out uh, quite a bit, I think, for the moment. There's a podcast called, oh, we don't usually swear um well, <laughs> let roll with it it's the shit no one tells you about writing i didn't name it she did the host is bianca moray and the reason that i am shouting it out is that she is doing a series with two agents where she reads a pitch and uh, the agents get a pitch and five pages and then they read the pitch out loud on the podcast and then they talk about it and then they talk about the pages you don't get to read the pages but believe me it's helpful and she's i think they're on episode five of this i cannot get enough of them it is so i mean such an education in pitching and if not pitching then back of the book copy same kind of stuff really great the agents are totally open and generous with their thoughts uh, you will learn a ton. So that is the shit no one tells you about writing with the host Bianca Murray, and it's available everywhere. Podcasts are pod, 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 podded. <laughs> Good one, KJ. Thank you. Yeah, that was graceful. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fantastic. So one thing I forgot to shout out about Becca in the beginning is that she is also also the author of a series of wonderful books, Dear Writer. Uh, it's uh, Dear Writer. You, you need you have to, to quit. quit. You need to quit. Thank you. I was yeah. like, quit. And that one's not in the picture behind her. So I guess so Dear, Dear Writer. Yeah, we call them the quit, quit books, right? Right. The quit <laughs> yeah. books. And she's also the host of the Quit Cast on YouTube, which is a great place to start with all things Becca and Better Faster because it is free and it is uh, easy. And you can take a look and take a listen and see if you want to dive deeper into the universe of trying to use your strengths to get better at all the things that we do. Is there anything else I didn't say about where people should find you, Becca? No, that's perfect. And actually, the YouTube channel is perfect because you'll get a sense for whether it resonates with you really fast watching the videos. And then if it doesn't, great. That's okay. Doesn't resonate with everybody. If it does, then I'll see you again soon. Sometimes I feel like, so on the one hand, you've you've coached what? thousands of writers, right? And so yeah. you, you talk about how, well, the top five strengths of, of writers are this, this, and this. But I keep thinking, yeah, the top five strengths of writers who go for coaching. 
Right. Well, <laughs> so we, we actually don't see that there's a huge difference because oh, we've no? tested more people outside of that. Because we just kind of test everybody we can test, but... Hold still. We don't see that there's a huge difference. Yeah. That is interesting. I do... I yeah. do suspect that some of us resonate more with this stuff but hey maybe all the strengths oh, resonate totally. res- resonate with finding out what their strengths are because it is super fun <laughs> yeah. I want to remind everybody to head over to the facebook group am writing hashtag am writing on um on facebook and if you want to get the weekly show notes in your email you should go to amwritingpodcast.com and sign up there where you can also sign up to support the pod if you so desire unless it goes against your specific strengths. Until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.